All right. Well, let's, let's move forward to look here at God's Word this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. And Michael gave a great sermon last week that I'm going to build a bit upon today. And if you were not here, I would encourage you to go back and take a listen to that sermon from last week. It really lays a great foundation for making sense of the Bible. And how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament. So let me just give you a quick summary, okay? Just to kind of refresh us. In the Old Testament, God commanded his people in this book of Exodus that we've been working through, right? He commanded his people to make him what's called a tabernacle. Or another word is called the tent of meeting, okay? And and this was the physical location of their worship. The place where God said he would meet with them, make his presence known among them. That God would dwell with his people in this building they were called to construct, okay? And we learned all about that last week and the significance of that for the Old Testament and how that corresponds to the New Testament, this tabernacle, this this presence of God in this place. Now, this was not, in Exodus, this was not the future temple that one day would be permanent or sort of permanent. Um, Actually, they thought it was permanent, but it didn't end up being permanent. But that's not this building. That was a glorious thing uh, many years later that Solomon would build. uh, And and you can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 8. But this was more of a mobile place of worship, a tent of meeting. It was very glorious and glamorous, but it could be set up and tore down because God's people had not yet finally arrived in the place, in the land that God promised to give them. They, they were still kind of wandering in the desert. They'd been saved from Egypt, wandering in the desert now. In the future, they would have a land that would be their own, but they weren't there yet. And in the future, they would build a permanent temple where God would, would, would dwell with his presence. But they weren't there yet. They were kind of in, in this middle ground of in the desert, waiting to enter the land that God promised to give them. But God still wanted them to have a place where he would be worshipped by them and where he would dwell with them. And that was the tent, tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And Michael did a great job last week showing why this building was such a big deal in the life of God's people and how it connects to the rest of the Bible. Well, today in Exodus 31, we're going to learn more about how this mobile set up and tear down dwelling of God to be among his people, how that actually came about. How did that come about? How did God's people pull this off? So if you have your Bible, uh, look at Exodus 31 with me. We're going to see this. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold... I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahasmach, of the tribe of Dan. 
And I have given to, to all able men ability that they may make what I have commanded you. Okay, the tent of meeting. And, and so this is, the, this is the building. This is the place. This is the dwelling of God, the tent of meeting. And now he's going to talk about all the ways in which God will be worshipped within that tabernacle, that tent of meeting. And the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that's on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense of the holy place. So all of those things are just the... the, the the means by which God wanted to be worshipped by his Old Testament people in this building. And that's what it says here at the end. According to all I have commanded you, they shall do. Okay? So let's look at this more in detail. Go back to verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And check out the information about this guy. Okay, this is very important. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence and knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. So I think the key phrase here is that in the section is I, he says in verse 3, I, this is God speaking now, God is speaking to Moses, is I, God, have filled him with the Spirit of God. Bezalel has been filled with the Spirit of God. What did that lead to? Well, it led to him, according to the text, some really cool abilities. To do amazing works of art. To work with wood and with metal. Like, and the ability to engineer all these things to make this amazing structure. See, the point today is this. To do the work to build up God's dwelling place, God gave his spirit to empower unique gifts to accomplish this purpose. Let me say that again. To do the work to build up God's dwelling place, God gave his spirit to empower unique gifts to accomplish this purpose. Did you hear that? So let's remember the text. Exodus 31. God came to this guy and says, I'm going to fill you with my spirit and I'm going to give you unique abilities. And guess what those unique abilities are going to be? It's going to be craftsmanship. When you think of the spirit of God landing on someone, is that what comes to mind to you? Working with wood, working with metal, structural engineering. Like when you look at this building do you think, man, the, the Spirit of God is all over this building in which we sit? Maybe we should. H have you ever considered that the gifts that someone has of making stuff out of wood or metal or any type of artistic endeavor might be as much an evidence of the supernatural power of God as someone speaking a word of prophecy or, or someone healing somebody by the power of God? See, see, when I think of the Spirit of God working powerfully through his people, we often think of like the really unique and rare giftings, not like the normal giftings, right? 
But maybe we should let the Bible lead us. And if we were to see someone build an amazing structure out of wood and metal, like we read about in Exodus 31, for the sake of God's glory, that that would cause us to stop and pause and not think with the eyes of the earth, but, but look with the gaze of heaven and see God's hand all over that person. Just as much as the person who can be used by God to heal or speak amazing words of prophecy or drop a word of discernment that makes everybody stand up and take notice. Do you ever think this way? I think that kind of jumps off the page in Exodus 31 that we should think this way. The Bible has much room for us to think this way. That God always gives gifts to build up his dwelling place. He gave gifts to these two guys that we read about. Bezalel and Aholiab. To, to build up the dwelling in the book of Exodus, this normal gifting of craftsmanship. But if we jump forward to the New Testament, we see the exact same thing happening. It's just that, this is very key, it's just that the dwelling place has changed. It's a little different. So let's pause right here and let me explain this. This is a big deal for you to understand your Bible, okay? Super important key biblical concept. In the Old Testament, we've already talked about this, let me review it again. God chose to dwell among his people in one location that was physical, okay? Exodus 31, it's this tabernacle set up and tear down place of worship. And then as you move through Israel's history, many years later, they're able to enter the land God promised to them and they construct a massive temple that was permanent, that wasn't set up and tear down. It was glorious. And that was the place where God would meet with his people in glory. Okay? First Kings chapter 8. God meets with his people in glory in the temple. And, and like Michael taught last week, the Old Testament temple, man, it was glorious. It was amazing. One of the true wonders of the world. But it wouldn't last. It wouldn't last. See, God removed his temple presence from his Old Testament people. Why? Because of their sin. The Bible says that they hoard themselves out to other gods. And they were judged for their wickedness. And God allowed foreign armies to come in and remove them from the land of, of, God, of God's promise. This is called the exile. And those foreign armies tore down that temple. They destroyed it. And God's glory was never seen in the same way until. It's a big until. Until Jesus. Until Jesus. And many centuries later, Jesus came on the scene. So much we could say about this good news, right? But let's think about the presence of God. The tabernacle, temple, Jesus. One of the most important things that we need to understand to understand our Bible is that the New Testament presents Jesus, not some physical building, as the dwelling place of God. Okay? Jesus himself said, I'm the temple. He says, you tear down this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. And the author of the gospel says that Jesus was doing that to show that he was the presence of God. See, in the Old Testament, the temple was where God dwelt. And Jesus says, guess what? I'm now the place where God dwells. 
Look at what John 1.14 says. Michael referred to this last week, but we need to review it again. John writes to first Christians to evangelize them, to believe in Jesus. And these people have a Jewish background, a lot of them. And he was a, he's referring to Jesus as the Word here. And he says, the Word became flesh, and there's the Word, dwelt, the dwelling of God. He, he was made manifest. Another way that we could trans, translate this word dwelt is the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's literally what that word means in the Greek. Or that he pitched his tent among us. And if you're an ancient Jewish reader of this text, that's causing light bulbs to go off in your head. And he, 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 he tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory. So if you're an Old Testament person, where was glory seen? Glory was seen in the tent of meeting. Glory was seen in the ancient temple that Solomon built. The glory, the manifest presence of God actually showed up among God's people in those places. And now John is saying, Jesus is that place. You want to know the dwelling of God? It's the word. You want to see the glory of God really manifested among you? It's not tabernacle anymore. It's not temple anymore. It's Jesus, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So the whole point is, it's not a physical building anymore. God comes to us now in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. That's the big idea. No more building, no more Exodus 31, tent of meeting, tabernacle, but rather Jesus. We move from a building to a person in, in the scope of the storyline of the Bible, okay? It's very important to understand. Well, so then what happens? What happens then is that Jesus is crucified for our sins. And he's raised to life for our justification, the Bible says. He's raised from the dead. Penalty of sin, over, conquered. New life is possible. Resurrection power is possible. And he ascends to the Father. We're seated at the right hand of of God. And, And that's all to say that he has all authority in heaven and on earth in King Jesus. But he's no longer physically present on the earth. He ascends to the Father. He rules and reigns over all things from heaven now. But what happens then? The Bible says that right then he sends his Holy Spirit to guess what? To do what? To dwell. To dwell. Where does he dwell? The Bible says he dwells in us. Who's the us? The church. The church. The presence of God is still alive and well in the world today. It's in the church. Look at what, what Paul writes here. He's writing to the ancient church in Corinth. And this is in 1 Corinthians three sixteen. And he's writing to the ancient church, the gathered people, in, in, about 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, a city called Corinth. And he says this to them. Do you not know... That you, okay, this is a plural you, not, don't think individual, think you as in gathered church in Corinth. That you gathered church in Corinth, what are you? You are. So here's an identity statement. This is who you are. If you want to know what church is all about, if you want to know why you're called, if you want to know why church is a big deal, you got to go to the identity statements. Here's an identity statement. You are God's, what? Temple. 
You are, what, what does temple mean? Temple means the presence of God. That's what it always means in the Bible. You are God's temple. And God's spirit, there's the word, dwells in you. So Jesus is no longer physically present, but where is the dwelling of God found? Found in his Holy Spirit alive in us when we gather to worship, when we gather to participate in the Lord's Supper, when we gather to sit under the authority of God's word, when we gather to sing and, and hymns and spiritual songs because we're filled with the Spirit and you can't shut down what God is doing in the hearts of his people. It's got to come out in praise. You are now God's temple. The church, the gathering of Jesus' followers, is the place where God now dwells. Where God dwells now. Jesus is no longer physically on earth. But God's dwelling is still here. According to Paul, it's the ancient church in Corinth, that gathering of believers. And you can tease that out to the current gathering of believers in North Africa, to the current gathering of believers in China, to the current gathering of believers in Uganda or Ecuador or Madison 2018. The supernatural power and presence of God is still in the world in this way by his Holy Spirit sent to empower his people to live for the glory of God and the mission of God to make disciples and plant churches through the world. The same Spirit that empowered these guys to build a dwelling for God in in God's ancient people in Exodus 31, it's the same Spirit that Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians. You feel that? So does that land on you this morning on how big of a deal church is? Like, this is a big, weighty verse. You are God's temple. I mean, that language is so weighty in in the whole scope of the storyline of Scripture. He's saying that church is the place where if the world wants to see the Spirit of God alive, they look at us. We are the place where God lives by His Spirit as we submit and surrender through faith and repentance to King Jesus. So church is a big deal. Local church is a big deal. Now here's where we come full circle with this text about how God by his spirit enabled these unique giftings of these guys to build the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Here's how it comes full circle. Has God left us to manage this, the weightiness of this verse and to live it out in Madison on our own? Like, good luck, guys. Just figure it out. No. Here's how this all connects back to Exodus 31. God gave, quote, normal gifts of craftsmanship to these guys to to, to help uh, develop and build his dwelling place. The spirit of God alive in these men. Well, the same exact thing is still happening. But here's the point. The building is just different. The building is just different. The building now is not Exodus 31 and this set-up, tear-down tabernacle. The building now, like we've already established, is the gathering of God's people. We are the temple. We are the place where God's Spirit dwells. And God is still empowering people by His Holy Spirit to make sure that this organic organization of worldwide gatherings is beautiful and healthy. So the Bible shows us that God cares very much for his church. And as a result, he's still giving gifts. He's still giving gifts to make sure that his place of dwelling is healthy and beautiful and thriving. 
And these gifts are not always what we think of as like these big supernatural things. Very normal giftings. All right? So let's, let's, let, let, let me paint a picture of this. Let me tell you the story of Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, the church uh, is, is, has emerged in Jerusalem. And Jesus has ascended to the Father. He sent his Holy Spirit. He's empowered people uh, to, to share their faith and to see people come to know Jesus. And that's happened. And those people are gathered in the church. Well, there's a problem. That some of these people that are gathered into the ancient church that we read about in the book of Acts are marginalized and they're poor. And so the church leaders are like, how are we going to deal with these more, uh, poor, marginalized people? We have to serve them, right? So what are we going to do? And so what they decide to do is raise up the first deacons. And listen to how they describe these first deacons. This is Acts 6, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. What does it say? Full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So the first elders of the church said they needed some faithful servants, quote, full of the Spirit, just like we read in Exodus 31, guys full of the Spirit, to do what? The very normal task, normal maybe, maybe not. Sounds like it's supernatural here. It, it implied the Spirit's filling to do what? To serve poor people, to serve them food, to serve at tables. Do you ever consider that serving food to poor people could be a job where the filling of the Spirit is really important? That's not just some normal throwaway thing. That's very supernatural. Do you ever think that, that, that serving food to poor people would require a filling of the Spirit, just like craftsmanship that it took to build an ancient dwelling for God among His people? See, see for the church to thrive in the book of Acts required leaders that had this, the, the, the Spirit of God. It required that we're going to engage with marginalized people. And that requires a unique filling. So, so the point is this. Don't diminish the gifts that God has uniquely given you for the sake of blessing his church. Look at what Paul wrote again to the ancient church in Corinth. For their blessing and for ours. He says this. There's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Your gifts that you have to serve the local church are fueled by the spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So what does that say? That says that the gifts that you have are supernatural. They're from God. And they might look normal in the world's eyes, but they're not if you're doing it for God's glory and for the sake of building up the church for the, what does it say? For the common good. He's writing the church in Corinth. He's saying just for the common good of the church. That's why these gifts are given. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Your giftings are a display, a manifestation, a signpost that says God is alive in me to the extent that I'm doing it for God's glory and the blessing of the church. You feel that? God's empowering the building of his Old Testament dwelling through normal gifts like craftsmanship. We see that in Exodus 31. And in the New Testament place of his dwelling, the local church, his people gathered. He still gives gifts of his spirit to his people for the sake of building this new gathering place of God among his people. 
Look here how, how Paul lays this out. I love this. It's like supernat- like what we think of as supernatural and, and natural stuff all joined together. Look at what he says. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing. So all of that sounds like, whoa, that's kind of that's lofty, right? But then he says, and helping and administrating various kinds of tongues. So this, this, this list here is not meant to be exhaustive. It's just like Paul's kind of rattling off some things that come to mind as examples. That's the sense. But isn't it interesting that Paul names gifts of the Spirit for the sake of building up God's dwelling place, the church, some things that we would deem as more supernatural, like healing, along with gifts that we would say might be not as supernatural, like helping or administration, he lumps them all together. He says it's all gifting of the Spirit. In that sense, it's all supernatural. It's all for blessing the local body so that it can thrive. God's dwelling place so it can be built up. It's all fueled by the Spirit. Just like I fueled these guys in Exodus 31 to build up a dwelling place, I'm still doing it today. It's all the same list. Helping, administration is just as much Spirit-filled as speaking in tongues or healing. So here's the action point for us today. Here's the action point for us today. What is your gift for the sake of helping to build up God's dwelling place, the church? What is your gift for the sake of building up God's dwelling place, the church? Do you know what it is? Are you using it? Are you going for it? Well, some of you might say, man, I don't even know what that is. Help me figure this out. Well, hopefully we're going to talk about this this week in your city groups. Uh, if you're not in a city group, we really want you to get in one. and Just go to the sign-up tab on the website. But let's start right now. Let's start processing this right now. You might want to even like jot some notes down because we want, we want this to be actionable. Okay? Let me just give you some diagnostic questions that help me when I'm trying to figure out, okay, how is God uniquely wiring me so that I cannot just be a blessing to myself, but I can be a blessing for his glory to see his local church thrive in the world. Because the Bible says that I do have gifts if I'm a follower of Christ, and those gifts aren't just for me, they're for blessing the church and its mission in the world today. So think about this. If you don't really know how you're gifted or called to gift, um, called to give of yourself, one of the ways I like to describe it is like, when do you feel most alive? Meaning, like, when do you feel most at ease or most natural? What are you doing in that? Like, what, what just comes naturally to you and you feel this um, sense of God's pleasure? Like, I was created for this. I just, I know I wasn't created for this. Like, some of you, the most scary thing ever is standing up here in public speaking. And that feels like a horror to you. And speech class in high school was like your worst nightmare. So you know it's not that. That's the opposite. But So what is it? I don't feel natural and comfortable public speaking. Okay, so when do I, when do I feel natural and comfortable? What do you do without anyone asking? What do you just kind of gravitate towards doing? Some of you, if there's a call to help someone, you don't even think about it. You just go. That's just a, that's a gift. Some of you... 
uh, love little kids and you naturally engage with them to see them educated and built up and protected. And, and so it just comes out of you naturally. What is that area for you? Here, here's another one that, that, that is hard, I think, for us to answer because we want to be humble, and that's a good thing. But let's, let's think about it. What do others that really know you, love you, and are not intimidated by you, what do they say you're good at? What do you get um, consistent encouragement for? In, in, in your community, what do they say you're good at? Maybe if you're married, ask your spouse that question. What do you see in my life? Or a roommate, or a mom, or a dad, or uh, some other family member. And what do you see me consistently good at? Or maybe you see, like, what do you, what do you consistently see me maybe not good at? And we need to answer those questions honestly and then pursue those things. That's probably the area of your gifting somewhere in there, okay? I, w- I want to challenge you to reflect on these questions. See, these gifts that you have are not accidental, The Bible says they're put there by the Spirit of God for a purpose, for the building up of His dwelling place in the world today. That's the church. He's doing it by His Spirit. He's still doing Exodus 31 type gifting of individuals for the building up of His dwelling place, the church. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. We're not just here to play church. We're here to take the Bible seriously. And let's go for it. So the church can thrive and be beautiful in Madison among neighbors and nations. So your gifting is connected to the church. I hope you're convinced of that this morning. And the church is connected to the mission of God in the world today. So draw a straight line to your gifting to our mission statement as a church. To make disciples and plant churches among neighbors and nations. Like that's a let's all get on board kind of thing. Does that make sense? So the church needs all of us to flourish for the sake of his mission in the world. And that leads us to some special guests that we have this morning. Um, In in some parts of the world, there is not yet that specific and beautiful dwelling place of God. It just doesn't exist yet. There is no church. And God has gifted certain people— uniquely by his spirit to address that problem. And we've been partnering with some folks since about the, the day of uh, 